Hey there, misfits. This is Kate. And I'm Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. It's a haunted theater today. It's a little spook spook today. It's going to be a spook. fun one. And, and it's raining here, so now I'm feeling like the eeries. I love rain. I love it. I love it. Uh, I think this episode is going to be of particular interest to our Australian listeners because today we are talking about the Princess Theater in Melbourne. I'm going to try to say it correctly. Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Melbourne. Victoria, Australia. Little known fact, do you remember that my old car's name was Melbourne? Oh, was it? Yeah, and I called her Melly. It was the first Subaru I ever had, the one that like went ever like had hundreds of thousands of miles on it. Hundreds yeah. of Oh my goodness, that's a lot of traveling. <laughs> well, I drove it to from Illinois to New York back and forth, and then I drove it from New York to California. Oh, you remember okay. that little one? I drove it to Chicago too. Maybe. Okay. Well, I I name all my Subarus after Australian city names. So we've got Melbourne or Mel. Melly is what I called her. Okay. And then the next one was the Cross Trek, and that was um, Katumba. Okay. I called her Cat. And the newest one that I just got, if our listeners listen to us and know about the car saga, the newest one is the <laughs> Outback Wilderness. And her oh. name is Sydney Bear. But I call oh, her Oh, I like Sydney Bear. Mm-hmm. Australia, we love you. We want to visit you. Thanks for listening to us. So let's get started. The Princess Theater is located at 163 Spring Street in Melbourne. It was originally built in 1854, so it's pretty fucking old. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was named Astley's Amphitheater. And it was actually used more for like circus stuff like there was an equestrian ring and so that was kind of more its jive back then when it was the amphitheater the 1850s in melbourne australia were all the rage because this was the time of the victorian gold rush oh it started out with a guy finding some traces of gold and being like that's cool but i don't think it's anything to write home about Then a few more guys found little bits of gold and were like, huh, neat. Neat. Then a few more and a few more and word started to spread. And notice how I keep saying guys because of the 1800s of it all. When gold digging was almost exclusively a male activity. Did you know that the California gold rush was around 1848? So this seems like it's in the same like time frame. It is. A little known fact, um, AU is the element gold rm australia also is au oh i never thought about that just wanted to put that educational tidbit in there so gold australia they (laughs) they knew what they were doing there um yeah this was just a few short years after the california gold rush had begun so the two did overlap a bit and with the exception of california which had more extensive fields Victoria had more gold output than any other country in the world. Really? Yeah. 
As word spread that there was gold to find, people started flooding into the state of Victoria, with Melbourne being a major boomtown. Melbourne is right on the water, and most people arrived by sea, and the city was said to have a very high birth rate at this time, which makes sense because if you're finding a bunch of gold, you're going to be feeling zesty. Yeah, you are. Might lead to some baby-making time. Procreate. So this all led to a rapid growth in population, with Melbourne at the center of all of it. And everything sort of expanded out from there. Australia's first telegraph line went up between Melbourne and Williamstown in 1853. Its first railway was built in Melbourne in 1854. People are building schools and churches and libraries and art galleries and theaters. For a time, Melbourne was the second largest city in the British Empire after London. Whoa. Yeah. And during the boom, it became one of the richest cities in the world. That is fascinating. That is something I never would have guessed, actually. By the 1880s, it had a reputation. Folks were like, that Melbourne? Yeah, it's pretty much one of the greatest cities in the entire world. And in 1885, British journalist George Augustus Sala dubbed it Marvelous Melbourne. Marvelous. The vibes were just right. People had more money than they knew what to do with. It was said that if a man opened his wallet and pulled out a bill, like a banknote, mm-hmm. and it was dirty, he'd just throw it away. Like, oh, this 20 has a little smudge on it. Get it out of my face. I don't want this. I'd be the little peasant, like, Picking it up. Yes, lifting through the streets and picking it up and putting it in my back pocket. (laughs) It was also said that Melburnians drank more champagne than the French during this time. We we love a champ moment. Okay. We love a champ moment. Cheers to that. I feel it in my soul. Suffice to say, Melbourne had it going on. It was popping. It was zesty. And it was during this time in the 1880s that Astley's Amphitheater was getting a bit run down. It was looking a little rough around the edges. Was that because there was less people going to the shows or they weren't putting the shows as much on or because too many like productions were happening? I'm not really sure. Maybe they just needed a revamp or something. Yeah, I think it was a revamp time. By this time, it had already changed hands multiple times and had undergone a name change. And the new owners, J.C. Williamson, George Musgrove, and Arthur Garner said, it's time to give this place new life. Hmm. Construction began in early 1886, and nine months later, on December 18, 1886, the renovated Princess Theater opened its doors. It was pretty schmancy. I wonder where they, where they, how they decided to name it that. I'm not sure. I couldn't find that. Uh, I couldn't find that anywhere. But it does sound like pretty and fancy, and mm-hmm. we love it. Royalty. It was designed in the Second Empire style, which is described as highly eclectic and decorative. So think marble staircases, grand foyers. All oh, that, that good sounds stuff. Very princessy, very royal, very It was like... it was incredibly elegant. And the renovated theater had state-of-the-art electrical stage lighting. That might not sound impressive now, but electricity had just been introduced in Melbourne in 1867. Oh, so they were 
cutting edge. I mean, they were they were right there along with that start. And it wasn't widely used. It wasn't in homes yet. It was still very new. So electrical stage lighting in 1886 was huge. The Princess Theater also featured the world's first retractable roof, which oh, I thought was freaking awesome. awesome for the 1800s. Like, es- especially with how many there are now. Also, yeah. I have a quick question. I want to. I want to backtrack a little bit. The three men who went into this princess one, mm-hmm. um, where clearly they spent a lot of money on this. So, did they get their money through the gold rush of Australia, or? Were they just rich men? Or I think they were rich I mean, men. They they were big theater practitioners. Um, oh, so this okay. wasn't the first theater they had built. Okay, so they were in the theater world, and then they wanted to invest back into that. Okay, I dig that. Uh, la, 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 la. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry, I lost my place. Um, so the roof, being able to open that up, it allowed for ventilation. Who are you blowing kisses to? The kitchen. Is there a guy there? <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Is it? Mm-mm. Oh, I wish I could know more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to back up because I'm now I'm all like, oh my goodness. Um, so... The theater's roof allowed for ventilation. So in warm weather, you could have an open-air theater. It was really ahead of its time. And a theater was a popular pastime during the marvelous Melbourne era because it cost money to go to the theater and people had money. It's like a what, kind of like wasn't it a status quo, you know, like in London, it would have been that in the 1600s. <laughs> so. You mean like... Like it was kind of like it showed your your social rank or class yes, rank or something. A, yeah. yeah, kind of. And I might uh, not have had that that year right for uh, London, but I was just I was trying to think of. It sounded good to me. 1600s. Yeah. yeah sure. Let's go with it. It was often reported in newspapers that when an audience enjoyed a performance, they'd throw gold nuggets on the stage. Like, I wouldn't act on that stage. That's, that's how fucking rich people were. Like, you get a gold nugget, and you get a gold nugget, and everybody gets gold nuggets. Gold nuggets are, like, that That would be the way to get my heart. Is he listening? I bet he's listening. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it was also common at the Princess Theater that audience members would use the time before a performance while they were waiting for the show to start to announce news or promote their businesses. Like you'd stand oh. up and say, hi, it's me, Bill. I have a butcher shop over on George Street. And everybody would clap and be like, oh, that's nice, Bill. And there's one story. I heard this on the podcast in black and white. It's hosted by Jen Kelly. And her guest on this episode is Ben Oliver. He's the founder of Melbourne's Drinking History Tours. Uh, sign me up. I know. <laughs> ben recounts a story where before one performance, a guy stood up and was like, hello, I'm Albert. I don't know if that was his name. And he said, I run the barbershop on Collins and everyone's like, oh, that's nice. And they clap politely. And he said, I've just returned from the gold fields with 50 ounces of gold. And so people are like, yeah. And they start clapping harder. 
And he said, I never have to cut any of you bastards hair ever again. And the crowd goes crazy and gives him a standing ovation. They're like, yeah, Albert. I just thought this is when I wish I could be a a time traveler to go back and witness that. Just be in the audience. I mean, if I got (laughs) if I got a solid gold then too, that'd be great. But I mean, that's just like the icing on the cake. I don't even need the bar. I just want to be a spectator at that point. So the theater was a big deal in the city. It was a place for people to meet up. It was a place to share your announcements. It was a popular pastime. And it was around this time that Frederick Federici arrived in Melbourne. Another good name. Frederick's birth name was actually Anatoly Frederick Dimidoff Baker. Wait, his last name was Baker after Mm -hmm. all of that? Interesting. (laughs) After all of that, that was like five names, Federici, right? So was he well, Italian? He was born in Italy. So he was born in Florence, oh, okay. Italy on April okay. 22nd, 1850. But he was actually British. His dad was British. He came from a military family. And his dad actually served in the diplomatic service, which is why he and his wife were in Italy at the time of Frederick's birth. Listen, that's so, a life to live. So he's British, born in Italy. So he mm-hmm. it, Got the Italian Italian name. Well, his name was not Italian yet. Oh, I haven't I got. See. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead with the story. His dad was serving in the service for Britain when he was in Italy, but they did move back to Britain, and that is where Frederick grew up. Okay. Frederick actually trained for the diplomatic service himself. He was going to follow in his dad's footsteps, but was like, "Yeah, I really like to sing. I think I'm going to go do that." So he started vocal training. He had his sights set on opera and wanted to be an actor as well. So while he was trying to break into the biz as a performer, he worked as a talent agent and he started writing songs. At just 21 years old, he began singing in operas on stage. Amazing. And this is when he decided to change his name. Because Ah. Frederick was a fancy fella. He mm-hmm. liked fancy things. And he thought, Frederick Baker is not giving fancy. Right. What if I just make my last name a fancier version of my first name? So he became Frederick Federici and was sometimes referred to as just Federici. I kind of like a fancy Freddy. That makes sense. Fancy Freddy. <laughs> For the next six years, Federici worked consistently on stage. He wasn't super famous, but like he was known. He appeared in several productions throughout the UK, but in 1878 had to declare bankruptcy because I guess he hadn't heard about all the gold rush in Australia. So he joined the army to avoid creditors. He was in the army for less than a year. So I don't really know like how he got out of that, but he Mm. was the organist. So it doesn't sound like he did a lot of soldiering anyway. He was the organist? Yeah, he played the organ for the the barracks. He played the organ in the barracks. And that's sensational. They have an organ in the barracks. I I love that for him. I'm not sure that he saw much combat, if any at all. (laughs) By July of 1879, he was back performing. And this was when his career really took off. It's also when he met his wife. They were part of the same theater company. Throughout the 1880s, Federici began getting bigger roles and becoming more of a name. His career took him to Austria, Germany, and even brought him to Broadway. So he was like a touring actor. Yes. Okay. And for musical theater fans out there, 
Pirates of Penzance was about to open on Broadway, but in order to secure the British copyright, the touring company that Federici was in had to give a performance of it the afternoon before it opened in New York. So they got one rehearsal and carried their scripts around with them on stage. Thus, Federici is actually credited with originating the role of the Pirate King. Oh my gosh, that's a good Pretty Woman moment, by the way. Is it? It was so good, I almost pissed my pants. She said she liked it better than Pirates of Penzance. Also, oh, um, I was like, what? Also, did our school do that? I feel like they did the three yeah. opera, but they did Pirates of Penzance because I yeah. it was in Albert Taylor, right? Yep, at Milliken. Because mm-hmm. oh, wasn't gosh, Andrew such in good it? memories? Yeah, or, I believe okay. he was. Okay, shout out Andrew. Hey, we love you. <laughs> People that are not into musical theater are probably not going to care about what I just said, but it is a little interesting bit of history. Then in 1887, Federici left the theater company he was in, and he, his wife, and their two little kids packed up and moved to Australia so that Federici could join J.C. Williamson's company at the Princess Theater. Oh, nice. He did his first production there in July 1887, followed by numerous performances in comic operas. Comic opera was his niche. Ah, I didn't even know that was like a genre of opera. (laughs) Well, it is, and he was into it. Just eight months after arriving in Melbourne, Federici was cast in the role of Mephistopheles in the grand opera Faust. So this was a bit of a change for Federici. Federici. Faust is not a comic opera. It is a very serious German opera. Oh. And Mephistopheles is the devil. And Faust is dissatisfied with his life. So Faust makes an agreement with Mephistopheles that he will receive unlimited knowledge and worldly pleasures in exchange for his soul. This show is where the term of Faustian bargain or a deal with the devil originates from. Oh, but it was in a German. Uh, it was actually, I looked that up. It was written by a German playwright, but it was performed oh, in French. Okay. Yeah. Frederici could speak like four or five languages. So he was getting after it. I feel like if you're in the opera, you are just brilliantly linguistic. And, you know, fancy. So, (laughs) of course, the end of the show has Mephistopheles dragging Faust down into the pits of hell. Now, opening night for the Princess Theater's production of Faust was on Saturday, March 3rd, 1888. It was a highly anticipated, high profile evening. First off, it's opening night. So that's always a big deal. An opening night can set the tone for how the run of the show is going to go. Critics watch the show on opening night and then write their reviews. And if the show gets a good review, it's probably going to do well. But if people don't like it on opening night, they're going to tell their friends and those friends aren't going to buy tickets. And on opening nights, people always get a little extra fancy. There's an excitement in the air. So it's a big night. Yeah. Like I would I would love to be able to see old pictures of like their attire. Yeah, I I can probably post day. post some. Okay. I'll try. And Federici had become a regular presence on the princess stage. He was part of the company there, so he was in pretty much everything since he had arrived in Melbourne the previous year. Mm-hmm. But this was his biggest role yet cuz he was I mean he was playing the devil. Right. And it was different from his other roles because this was a serious piece. He usually did comedy. 
So the audience is excited to see him. I'm sure his wife was in the audience. I don't know about his kids because they were around six and seven at the time. So they might have been at home. The curtain rises and the show begins. And Federici is killing it. Oh, yeah. His acting was sharp. His singing was chef's kiss. (laughs) And he was probably thinking, damn, I am so fucking talented and can do anything. Comedy, check. Drama, check. Singing, I'm the bomb.com. Check, check. Devil, check. Check. He performs beautifully. A critic from a daily newspaper called The Press wrote in his review of the performance that night, quote, He both sang and acted on Saturday night in a truly artistic manner. He has never been seen to greater advantage than he was on that occasion. So way to go, Federici. So we get to the fifth and final act of the performance. This is the big moment where Mephistopheles, played by Federici, drags Faust down into hell. And the way they did this on stage was there was a trap door in the floor of the stage that would lower the actors down into the basement while there is all this fire and smoke to create the effect of hell. So Federici sings the final note of the opera. He wraps his cloak around the actor playing Dr. Faustus or Faust. The two men are on the trap door and it begins to lower and the audience erupts into applause. They're cheering. It was a great performance. That final effect of descending into hell with all the smoke and flames was freaking oh, I can rad. I it as you're speaking. The clapping goes on for several minutes. But Federici didn't hear any of it because as he descended down into the basement, Frederick Federici at just 37 years old, had a heart attack and died. Oh, no. Was he supposed to rise back up or anything? No, no, that was the end of the play. Okay. The audience is completely unaware of this. So they're still clapping. The cast comes out and takes their bows. It's been a successful opening night, as far as they know. Mm -hmm. And when the cast went backstage, the director said to them, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but the reason Federici was not on stage with you during the curtain call was because he had a heart attack and died. His doctor was here and tried to revive him, but unfortunately he did pass away. The hell? This is nuts. And the cast was confused. Mm -hmm. And they asked, um, when did he die exactly? And the director said, well, it was as he was being lowered into the basement, just after he sang the final note. And everyone in the cast was like, no, that's impossible because he was on stage with us when we took our bows. And the director said, no, he definitely died. There's his body right there in the green room. But the cast was adamant that Federici had been with him taking his bow at curtain call. And it wasn't just the cast. Audience members also claim that Federici was on stage at Curtain Call. So you can imagine their surprise when they opened up their newspapers the following Monday and read that he had died. Uh, that's some haunty shit, Princess Theater. This man Federici said, I'm not about to let a little death keep me from getting my flowers. I rehearsed this motherfucker for weeks. I was fucking awesome in the show. I am taking my bow. 
And if you got to go, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. He died doing what he loved and literally, literally went out in a blaze of glory. It turns out Federici had been suffering from heart disease for years. And supposedly, and I say supposedly because I could only find this in one source. So I don't know how much truth there is to it. But right before he went on stage that night, he said, quote, I will give a fine performance tonight, but it will kill me. No. Yes. I mentioned earlier that his doctor was there and tried to revive him. Mm -hmm. And you might be thinking, why was his doctor doctor was there? Yeah. Like, that's kind of unusual. His doctor, Dr. Wilmot, was well aware of Federici's heart condition. He had prescribed him nitroglycerin pills. Federici requested that a small pocket be sewn into all of his costumes so that he could keep several of the pills in there. Oh, wow. And Dr. Wilmot knew that Federici could have a heart attack at At any any moment. So he was always at the theater with him in case such an event occurred. This is giving me some of the vibes from that that one guy who also had an interesting name, I think. He loved his champs. He loved champagne. He like maybe died in a car. Uh, loved champagne and died in a car. That we've already covered? You did, yes, you covered him. Um, loved champagne and died in a car. Yeah, he he loved like partying. He, he was... Um, I think he went. He was started in New York and then went to L.A. or the Hollywood scene. Oh my god! Maybe he was a producer. Are you thinking of Thomas Ince? I think he died so. on the boat. Yeah. Well, he actually. Well, I think he died but in he, his home, he but. didn't die. Yeah, we. But wasn't that of a heart? Like he had a bad heart too. That was reported. Yeah, I think so. But like no one yeah. really knew about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. and no one really knew yeah. about Federici's condition either. Interesting. Just it just you know came to my head. His body was actually left at the Princess Theater until the following afternoon. Really? lying there. And then on Sunday afternoon, it was transported to his home and his funeral and burial took place that that following day on Monday. Federici loved the theater. It was his life's work. So it makes sense that that is where he prefers to spend his afterlife. Of course. There have been several Federici sightings since his passing, and he's always described in the same way, wearing evening dress, very well-dressed. He's tall. Like his tails ha- on his, like, tucks Probably. or something? Yeah, I see. His hair is flicked back and slightly graying at the tip, which if you can see a ghost clearly enough to see that his hair is graying at the tip, that is an experience you will not soon forget. Mm-hmm. In 1900, firemen were called to the theater because the fire alarm had gone off, which ended up being a false alarm. But one of the firemen said, hey, I'm going to open up a section of the retractable roof just to let in some fresh air. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, his colleagues couldn't find him. And they were like, where's Jim? He went to open up the roof and never came back. They found him later crouched in a corner and shaking this grown ass fireman. He had a sighting? Yeah. He told them he'd seen a man standing like a statue in the middle of the stage and said, this is the fireman um, quoting. He said, I could see through him and his eyes, they were like cat's eyes. Whoa. There's another incident. I couldn't find a date for this one where a little girl was at the theater with her mom to see a play. 
and they get to their seats and the mom sits down, but the girl's just standing there. And her mom says, well, come on, it's time to take our seats. And the little girl said, I can't. And her mom asked why. And the girl said, there's a man in my seat. He's been sighted Mm. in the dressing room wearing different costumes, almost like he's trying to recreate all the roles he's played. He played. Yeah, that's cool. I like to think that he's just like back there, like getting ready to go on stage, like practicing all his, you know, his singing and like. Well, it's his place. Yeah, it's his place. There have been several accounts from staff members at the theater that have had some spooky experiences, such as drastic temperature changes, lights flashing on and off, or feeling something brush against them when there's nothing there. Oh, that's that. That's the one. That That's how you know there's a ghost. Mm-hmm. And some prominent figures in Australia have also claimed to encounter Federici's ghost. Bert Newton, who was a well-known radio, TV, and theater personality, he actually just passed away uh, in 2021. When he was younger, he worked at the Melbourne radio station 3XY. And one night, he had gone out for a walk and left the record running. And when he realized he'd forgotten to flip it, he ran back because he was worried people were just getting dead air. But when he got back to the station, he found the record had already been flipped over. And there was a technician asleep nearby. So at the end of Bert's shift, he thanked the tech for flipping the record. And the tech the said, tech was like, no. he goes, I didn't. I haven't moved from my chair. Bert stated to a journalist, quote, I'm a skeptic, but I never say anything nasty about Federici. If he turned the album over, I want to thank him very much. He probably oh. saved my job. That's darling. That's really sweet. Other notable Australians that have reported an encounter include actresses Marina Pryor and Lisa McCune. They are well-known performers in Australia. So it does add some validity to their claims just because Mm -hmm. they are uh, very prominent in the country. And it seems that for the most part, Federici is a friendly ghost. And a sighting of him is good luck. An appearance from Federici on opening night is considered a good omen and ensures a long and successful run. He just Aww. he's just there to like give you wish, wish you well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has reportedly been seen at a number of performances, usually sitting in the dress circle, but he will let you know if he doesn't like the show or your performance. If he's not into it, he'll frown and take his hand and just like run it over his hair, pushing his hair back. That's how you know you are not impressing Frederick Federici. Judging McJudgerton over there. I would think. To this day, the Princess Theater reserves a seat for Federici every opening night. It's really? seat B28 in the dress circle. You cannot book that seat. You could sit next to it, but that is Federici's seat. And if you want to go to the Princess Theater, you can catch a performance of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which oh, is nice. the show currently playing there. Excellent. Should we go? We should go. I think the show closes in July, so we need to get on it. All right. That is the tale of Frederick Federici and how he haunts the Princess Theater. Wow. What is your takeaway from this story, Kale? Uh, I want gold nuggets thrown at me. Yeah, that's a good one. I need to show up in Australia, apparently, in the 1800s. My takeaway is always dress fancy for the theater because otherwise Federici might judge you. Tell us your takeaway. You can leave it in the comments on any of our social media at Horwood Podcast 
or shoot us an email, uh, especially if you have a haunted theater that you want us to cover, or if you just have your own tale, even if it's not like entertainment industry related, we can always take a little break and and find out what our misfits have been up to. So you can email us at horwoodpodcasts at gmail.com. And if you're feeling super inclined and want to pop on over to Patreon, you get some bonus content over there, a little behind the scenes stuff there. We try to keep it uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash horrorwood podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It means so freaking much to us. And we love hearing from all of you. And I think those are all the things. Did I cover it all? I think you did. I want to um, tell Melbourne out there if you're in there, if you're currently residing there, to have a marvelous Monday. Yes, yes, you marvelous Melbourne. And everybody else as well, too. Uh, we love you. Thanks for listening. And until next time.